you got your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you know me, this is a familiar passage because I ask you to pray this prayer for me, and some of you have even uh, done so, have maybe even written in your margin, this is the prayer that Pastor Robbie asked me to pray for him. Uh, So it's a passage that I turn to often and have preached more than once here over the past 18 years, to say the least. Uh, But I want us to look at it and uh, maybe discover even some insight we haven't taken time to dig out of this passage even in the past. As we start a new series, equipped, equipped, you've got what it takes. What do we mean by that? Well, today we'll talk about can I know the will of God for my life. Found your place there, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. For this reason, also since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Father, we do pray this prayer today that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, that you would speak to our hearts, give us wisdom and direction for the life that you've called us to live, and for these specific callings you have for each of us, Lord, give us a tremendous insight on how to apply this text in discovering and doing your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Equipped. What does it mean to be equipped? I, I want to show you guys a picture. I, I, I'll be curious to know how many people in this picture you could name. You recognize anybody in that picture? How many of you recognize anybody in that picture? I know Katie does. Her brother is in that picture right beside yours truly. But in this picture, I'm the little guy. Um, that is a picture of the Danielsville demons, minor league champions, 1980, (laughs) before they had the draft, you played for your community in this county when it was done right, you know what I'm talking about, and uh, we were the Danielsville demons. Now, everybody else in the county called us the Danielsville dummies, but we were the Danielsville demons. We had that D on our hat, and uh, I think I can name everybody in that picture. Kids can't do that now because the draft, they have kind of mixed it up. You grew up back then playing with the guys in your community, getting to know those fellows, and so I could name everybody in that picture. I wanted to show you that picture of that group of 10 and 9-year-olds, 9 and 10-year-olds, because I've told people before, and I think they've doubted me when I said, back in my day, we didn't have baseball uniforms, They handed you a T-shirt, and everybody's T-shirt was the same color, right? That was green. That was our color. We were fortunate enough to all have matching hats. Everybody in that picture, you will notice, is wearing blue jeans. That's what we wore to play 9- and 10-year-old baseball back then. You wore your jeans, hopefully tough skins, so that when you slid into the bases, you didn't rip a hole in them. We were truly a sandlot gang of that time. I want you to notice also there might be one guy on the front row, maybe two, and a couple on the back row that actually had on a pair of cleats. 
Everybody else is wearing their old tennis shoes because that's what you wore when you played baseball, 9 and 10-year-old baseball back in 1980. And so that was our minor league baseball team. What you don't see in that picture is the equipment bag. We were equipped all right. The coach had the equipment bag. Not every player like today. The coach had the equipment bag. You showed up with your glove. Usually there was that one or two kids on the team that actually, get this, they had their own bat. And we were like, whoa. They don't have to use one of the coach's bat. And if we ask them nicely, maybe we can use their bat. There was rumors that one of those kids had a bat with tennis balls stuffed down in the barrel. They had their own bat. Nobody had their own helmet. That was in the coach's bag. And so mom checked for lice every day after practice, right? But we all shared the helmets. And sometimes, you know, you would have bases loaded and somebody that was batting had to change helmets with somebody that was out on base because they had the good helmet that you had to wear to bat with. So the coach had the helmets, the coach had the bats. We were just not equipped like I'm amazed today. Not only when 9 and 10-year-olds, you can walk over to Madison County Parks and Rec and you can see an 8-year-old walking around and, I mean, he's got his own equipment bag and it's loaded. He's got that first baseman's mitt and the catcher's mitt and the glove and he's got a couple of bats like guns sticking out over his shoulders. And, man, these kids are equipped today and they, they have to be to keep up with the other team, right, or to keep up with everybody else on their team. And try to get them to use somebody else's bat is a hard thing. And so kids today would look at this picture and say, man, where's your baseball pants? Where's your cool socks? Why are some of you not playing in cleats? Because today their parents make sure they are equipped. Now, parents, grandparents, let me ask you a question. Are we as concerned for ourselves and for the next generation, that they are as equipped spiritually for this world as they are for minor league baseball or gymnastics or whatever else they do. Do we go through all the trouble to make sure we are equipped? Well, if the responsibility of the pastor, according to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry... That means one of my responsibilities in preaching this word is to not only equip you for the ministry, but equip you for a life of equipping so that as the body of Christ, we are always about equipping the next generation. I want you to know God has given us everything we need. Our coach has quite an equipment bag. He's given us everything we need. And we're going to see in certain passages as we look at like how the Word of God causes us to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, God has given us the equipment. Now, we had some equipment back in that day, but there's some spiritual equipment that I pray that we'll all embrace over these next several weeks through the rest of April, the month of May, to learn that we've got, because of the power of God, we've got what it takes. Now, this text today helps us transition. 
We were talking about passion and power. You can truly know God. You can identify with Jesus Christ and his passion, his suffering, and his power, his resurrection. We've, we looked at that, those passages that reminded us again and again that we can truly know God intimately. Now, this text helps us transition to the fact that we can not only know God, but we can know his will for our lives. I believe, as Billy Graham and other evangelists have said for many years, God has a wonderful plan for your life, that there is a biblical basis for knowing that plan and getting in on what God has for you. So we're going to look at many of those texts on how to do just that. Now, there was a couple of heresies facing the Colossian church at this time. There was, uh, of course, the Judaizers who were attacking the church and putting emphasis on certain uh, rituals and and works that had to be accomplished. There was also the Gnostic heresy at that time, uh, or at least uh, the roots of a Gnostic heresy that was saying, listen, all that's important is that we have this knowledge, this gnosis, this understanding, but it didn't have to flesh itself out in practical living. And what I want us to see in the text this morning and in the series that we're about to go through is that it's not enough just to say that we know God, but that we are discovering that he does have a plan for our life, he does have a will for you and for me, and that we're to not just know that will, but we're to do what God has called us to do. Paul's prayer, this wonderful thing about this prayer, I love the prayers in the Bible, this prayer helps us not only learn how to pray for the will of God in our life, In praying for the will of God, it actually reveals kind of an outline of what that will is all about. So how, then, can we know the will of God? Some of you have been asking that. You're like, man, how can I know the will of God for my life? And we're like, well, read the Bible. And you you haven't flipped open to a page yet where it had your name and Maybe where you're going to be working next year or for the young people who you're going to marry one day, you're like, I don't see it in there in black and white. We're going to discover a process this morning that will help you with that. And and the first thing I want you to see right here in the text is that we need to learn to discern the voice of God. As the body of Christ, we need to learn to discern the voice of God. Look at how Paul's praying. And by the way, prayer then is a big part of learning to discern the voice of God. We'll see that in just a moment. But he says, man, since I've heard about your faith, and and, and he's given thanks for the church and what God's doing in the life of the church, and he says, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. And we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The Word spiritual there in the Greek, it's one of those syntax rules where it can modify both the word that precedes it as well as the word that follows it. And so it's spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, if you will. It's something that has to come from God. And so he's praying that they will be able to know the will of God, discern the will of God, be filled with the knowledge of God, and that there would be a wisdom that comes from God and and, and a spiritual discernment and understanding that comes from God. This comes from walking with God in his word and in prayer on a daily basis. You can't neglect the walk with God and all of a sudden expect to know the will of God. In so many ways, the, the will of God 
becomes one of those hindsight is 2020 things where we begin to walk so closely with Jesus Christ that we begin to say, wow, I see what God's will for my life was. I see what his plan for my life was. However, having said that, I want to give you something this morning that I discovered back in the 1990s, and I would say this was one of the most solid, encouraging, foundational things for me as a Christian when it came to discovering God's will and God's plan for my life. Thanks to Henry Blackaby and a study called Experiencing God, and we've got some of the resources available for maybe some of you want to pick up after church this morning. Henry Blackaby talks about seven realities, and I want to share those seven principles with you when it comes to experiencing God. How can we know and do the will of God? And all he does is give kind of a a biblical overview of how God reveals that will and how we get in on it. The first reality is this. God is always at work. God is always at work. In John chapter 5 and verse 17, when there was the confrontation uh, as it happened again and again with, with Jesus healing on the Sabbath, Jesus said this. He says, my father is always working. God is always at work. Isaiah said he never sleeps or slumbers. He is always at work. So you need to understand something. We don't have to sit around and wait on God to be at work. Now, do we have to wait on God at times? Absolutely. They that wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. But we don't have to wait until God is at work because God is always at work. God is always working, Jesus said of his Father. Second reality, God pursues a loving relationship with you. God pursues a loving relationship with you. In fact, in John 6, 44 and 45, it says that no one comes to the Father unless he is drawn. You can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws you to Jesus. And so we know that God loves us, Jeremiah 31, with an everlasting love, and that love pursues us. Even when Israel had turned their back on God, he gives us the whole book of Hosea to show us that God is a covenant God and a loving God, and he will pursue us. As we've been singing lately in recent services, he's the God who would leave the 99 to go and pursue the one. But God pursues a loving relationship. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was loss. You know, they were saying, what do you want to have to do with Zacchaeus, that tax collector, that sinner, that, that, that one who has uh, been as far from God? And he said, man, that's why I came. I'm in pursuit of a loving relationship with people. Third reality, God invites you to join him and in his work. Not only is he always at work and pursuing a loving relationship with you, he's inviting you to join him in his work. If you read Isaiah chapter 46, he's telling Israel, listen, man, not only have I planned some things, I'm going to do these things. You don't want to miss it. You want to get involved in what I am doing. Fourth reality, God speaks. And I think this is probably one of the most important realities in the experiencing God's study. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. Let's stop there for a moment. There's only one objective means in this list here, and that is the Bible. The other three are important, 
but they are more subjective. In other words, they would be easier, easier to misinterpret. But the Bible is very straightforward. It's black and white. There are passages that are hard to interpret, but 90% of those passages that reveal God's will and mission for our life are really not hard to get. It's just hard for us to obey sometimes. And, and so God is revealing his will as he speaks by the Holy Spirit, first of all, as he inspired the Word of God, the Bible itself. It is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God to us. And he's saying, as you spend time here in the Word of God, you begin to discover the will of God. And so much of discovering the will of God is just a matter of what we would call the illumination of the Word of God. When the Holy Spirit says, this is how this verse applies to your life right now as you begin to read and pray and meditate on the Word of God and internalize the Word of God, memorizing and, and knowing those principles, and some of you learning to journal and right now what God is teaching you in His Word, then His will, His plan for your life becomes more evident. You cannot neglect the Bible and say you're in pursuit of the will of God. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible. Now, he gives us some helps to facilitate that process, but it starts with the Bible. God is never calling you to do something contrary to the Scriptures. If you're like, man, I, I, just, I think the will of God is that I run out on my family right now. It's not the will of God for your life. God never tells you to do something contrary to his Scriptures, but always as illuminating and applying the Scriptures to your life. And so we've got to spend time in the Word, but he also gives us prayer, that communion with God. If it was important for Jesus, Mark one thirty-five, to go out to a solitary place and spend time alone in prayer, how much more important is it for me and you to find time alone with God in prayer? And so if we're going to know the will of God, we've got to be in the Word of God We've got to be communicating with God in prayer, which means that we're not only talking to God, but we're listening, writing down what God's telling us as he begins, as a result of our prayer, to show us how the word of God applies to our life. Circumstances. You have to be careful here. We're getting a little bit more subjective now, but in Revelation 3 and verse 8, we See, Jesus telling the church, I'm, I'm putting an open door before you. Now, we have a God who is big enough to open doors and close doors. And so sometimes our circumstances open doors and close doors. Remember in Acts chapter 16 when Paul said, look, man, we were going in one direction, but God closed the door. The Holy Spirit prohibited us and wouldn't let us go in that direction. And then he saw a vision of the boy, the Macedonian call is what we call it, the boy from Macedonia where they needed the gospel and he said, come over here and help us. And so sometimes God puts something on our heart. He changes our circumstances. He equips us in a way we never expected with those circumstances to minister in a way that places us right in the center of his will. And then through the church, as people in the body of Christ confirm, yes, I see God doing that in your life. Yes, I see this is how he's at work. Yes, I, I believe this is your gift. Yes, I believe this is what he's calling you to do. And the ministry team, 
gives you a call and they say, man, here's, here's how we see you. You just seem to be so great in this area of children's ministry or whatever. And, and so the, <laughs> they confirm that, man, God is speaking to me in this area. So God speaks by the Holy Spirit objectively through the Bible, subjectively facilitated with our prayer circumstances and the confirmations of the body of Christ. Number five, God's invitation leads you to a crisis of belief requiring faith and action. You will come to a place in your life where you say, okay, I believe God has revealed his will to me, but it's going to require action on my part. I've got to do something. And it may not be like I had to tell my wife 18 years ago, believe God's calling us back to Georgia. But God's going to cause you, as he reveals his will, to have to sacrifice something, to have to move into action. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, exalted, and trained of his robe, filled the temple. He encountered the glory of God. And we would say, man, I want one of those Isaiah 6 moments. Isaiah still had to come to a place where when the Lord said, who will go for us, that he said, here I am, send me. So it brings us to a crisis of belief, a point of action. That may not be to go to an international mission field. It may not be to take a vocational ministry, although it might be. It could be for you to witness to that person in your school, which is always the will of God. It it could be to invest in a missions opportunity. It could be that God's calling you to, careful now, change careers. It could be that he's opening up an opportunity for you to embrace a new direction and vocation, education, you name it. And then it requires faith. We have to act on that. Number six, six reality, you must make adjustments to join God in what he is doing. You must make adjustments. We saw this in Luke chapter 9, did we not? If any man will follow me, he must deny himself. I've got to make some adjustments. Take up his cross and follow me. I've been reading the book by Samuel Chan called Leadership Pain. And he says that growth requires change. Change means loss. Loss brings pain, and therefore growth equals pain. And so sometimes we have to make some painful adjustments knowing that it will be worth it all because they cause us to get in on the will of God for our life. And there's no better place, no more exciting place, no more wonderful, fulfilling, satisfying place this side of heaven than right in the middle of God's will. And I don't want to miss out on God's will for my life. I don't want the people of God. I don't want Trinity Baptist Church as God begins to speak to us and he says, wait a minute, for you to continue to grow and impact the nations, our neighbors and the next generation, then you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to go through seasons of pain. I still don't want to miss out on what God has in store for us. And number seven, the seventh reality, you come to truly know God as you obey and he works in and through you. And in 1 John 2, 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. So when the word of God is illuminated and practical in our life and we realize the will of God is speaking to move us, when we are obedient, then we become more aware of God's will and plan for life. We know him more intimately. Man, that's a, a tough thing. I, I remember 
working with a, a group of students in North Carolina when I was in seminary. It was a small youth group, but I had about seven of them that wanted to do the Experiencing God for Youth. And, and we would talk about, well, y- y'all want to get together. Wednesday nights is kind of the, that was RAs and GAs back then. You didn't mess with that. So Wednesday nights are tough. Uh, Sunday nights was kind of our open door for the youth group. That was our big youth night back then at that church. And, and, and so I said, well, what about Monday nights? Well, no, I, I've got track practice. Tuesday nights, well, we have baseball Tuesday and Thursday. Friday, I'm not going to give you my, my Friday nights. You know, when, when can we get together? And I finally said, well, none of you have time on it. Do you really want to know an experience in God? And one of them said, what about if we met at 7 o'clock before school every Thursday morning? And I thought, my goodness, I'm going to have to drive from Raleigh to Pittsburgh, North Carolina every Thursday morning early. And I had to pick up half the kids. But they were there every week waiting because they wanted to know and experience the will of God for their lives. And so we would meet every Thursday morning at 7 o'clock and we would learn these seven principles in that study. And those seven went on to do great things for the glory of God as they, I would dare to say more than most of the adults in the church they were attending, they understood that you could know and do the will of God for your life. Yes, his will includes salvation and the calling that he has on your life, but it includes where he is leading you in a career and who you're going to marry, and that involves the courtship process and His will is revealing the ministry each one of you are to embrace in the local church and how you've been equipped for that ministry, as we'll see in the weeks ahead. And in this community and in our world, learn. I gave you one tool this morning, but learn to discern the will of God and the voice of God for your life. Here's the second principle, and we'll spend the rest of our time looking at this principle. Live wholeheartedly for the glory of God. Learn to discern the voice of God. Live wholeheartedly for the glory of God. If you want to glorify him, get ready for the ride of your life. What will he say just a few chapters over? By the way, in this chapter, in verse 10, he says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him in every way. The Apostle Paul had already made a commitment that he was going to please his commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ, above all else. And he would challenge Timothy to do the same. He he told Timothy, he said, listen, Timothy, listen, a soldier is not concerned with civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And that's what you need to be about, Timothy. But look at chapter 3 and verses 23 and 24. These have become life verses for me. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever it is, do it enthusiastically or with all your heart as something for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. So whatever you do, do it passionately, do it enthusiastically, whatever God has called you to do. Be all in. Give it all your heart and do it not for your own glory or not so you can say, man, I just want to receive the blessings of God this side of heaven. Listen, we all want to receive the blessings and favor of God this side of heaven. But we want to live for the glory of God and say, not for me, Lord, but this is for you. And when we begin to live for the glory of God, he begins to open up his will. Psalm 37 and verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
I believe that means when we delight ourselves in him, when we desire to glorify God, and he is our everything, then he begins to make our desires to line up with what he has for us. And as his desires line up to what he has for us, and we walk with him, giving glory to him in every area of our life, then we experience the delight. Our problem so many times is that we're after the delight. We want to be satisfied. And and there is a self-centered approach to the faith that's out there now in many pulpits that's all about pleasing self first rather than glorifying God. And so we have to be careful and steer clear of that. Evangelist Junior Hill, one of my favorite evangelists, said this, if you ever get your desires ahead of your delight, you will have no delight when you get your desires. (laughs) Let me read that again. If you ever get your desires ahead of your delight, what does he mean? If you ever get pursuing yourself and your own satisfaction ahead of delighting yourself in the Lord, you will have no delight when you get your desires. But church, when we delight ourselves in the Lord and in being fully pleasing to Him in every way, walking worthy of the calling by which we've been called and glorifying Him, then when He gives us the desires of our heart, we will find delight in those desires. So our motives have to be right, living wholeheartedly for the glory of God. What does this lead to? Look at the life it leads to back here again in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. A fruitful life. Fruit was both the character of Christ made manifest by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace, the patience, all of that that flows through and out from us when we're walking with God. But also the fruit of our influence, the fruit of our works, the fruit of our labor as people are impacted for the kingdom because of your life. So he says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And then in verse 11, may you be strengthened. Why can't we find strength to do what God's calling us to do? It's because we're trying to do it in the flesh rather than walking with him, allowing him to do the work through us. May you be strengthened with all, your, all power according to his glorious might. You see the fruit of the Spirit again here for all endurance and patience with joy, and I would add to the fruit of the Spirit there, gratitude, because he says, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance. He has equipped you, if you will, empowered you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He's given you everything you need. You can know the will of God. You can discover God's plan for your life. It's not some mystical thing like the Gnostics would make it out to be that we really will never embrace the side of heaven. You can know and you can do the will of God with confidence in your life. And we've got to live with that kind of confidence. We've got to be like the little girl. There was a, a teacher that had assigned a project to a classroom of students and, and just said, basically today, draw anything you want everybody else to see. Just draw anything, whatever it might be. And boys were drawing, you know, fire trucks and police cars and race cars and that sort of thing. And some of the girls were drawing homes and flowers and things like that. Everybody was drawing what they had a desire for everybody else to see. And one girl, she started to draw after thinking for a long time. And the teacher said, well, what are you drawing? And she says, I'm drawing God. 
teacher was like, oh, you do realize no one has ever seen God and nobody knows what God looks like. The little girl said, they will in a few minutes. <laughs> We've got to live our life in a way that people would say, listen, we can know the will of God because that follower of Jesus Christ that I work with, that follower of Christ that I go to school with, they are walking with Jesus and revealing that you can get in on what he has for you this side of heaven. And certainly we get all that when we know and follow Jesus. We get all that in heaven too. As we discovered, we can live God's will. As we discover we are revealing his character as it becomes our character in this world, the world suddenly will get an idea of what God looks like because they see Jesus in you. And they begin to say, there is a God. And I believe if he loves that person, he loves me too. If he has a plan for them, he obviously has a plan for my life too. And you then will give courage, encourage others to get in on what God has for their life. Church, I'm telling you, God has given us the equipment. We can know and we can do the will of God. It doesn't have to be a mystery. You do not have to torment yourself in pursuit of that. He's ready for you to take him by the hand and see what he has in store for you. I want to ask you to bow your heads at this time.